0: John Copenhagen and Al Warren. Heard on KTV 106.5 FM
2: Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and
0: 1050 AM
1: Palm Springs. Uh, joining us today, we've got Dr. Mike Wood. Thank you for being here. Hi, thanks for having me on. Uh, so here we are, uh, Psychology of Conspiracy Theories.
3: Um, so is this a mental issue? (laughs) Uh, well, um, I guess you could say it's meant, it's mostly a thing of the mind. And I think it's certainly an issue. So if you put those two words together, then technically (laughs) in the same way that, you know, um, That way, you know, if I say that somebody's, you know, uh, plotting to rob a bank, if some gang is getting together trying to rob a bank, that's a conspiracy theory. But mental issue like conspiracy theory is a phrase that's, uh, you know, more than the sum of its parts, you know. Um, And, you know, spoiler alert, I don't have any silver bullets for you for for conspiracy theories. Um, So, yeah, sorry to disappoint you off the bat, but um, I I think the, the research isn't there yet. You don't have a, a pill that you can take that makes you think that, um, you know, JFK was killed by a lone gunman. We're working on it, but you know, big pharma is still a ways off on that one. Well, we didn't land on the moon, right? So maybe that's where they are, man. Maybe that's where the pills are. You just go mine them out of the moon rocks.
1: Is it a virus?
3: Uh, it's a virus that's made of cheese. <laughs> if you believe in all that germ theory stuff, which I'm honestly not convinced of,
1: isn't it? It's maybe in the flu shot. If I get the flu shot, not only do they track me, but they make it contagious. They make me believe in conspiracies.
3: Yeah, honestly, I think that the the moon rocks and the uh, the microchips might kind of cancel each other out, like they have opposite waveforms, and they just they just zero each other out. That might be OK, helps.
4: so before we tell all of our fans that everything they think is true <laughs> is actually true, um, <laughs> why don't we get back to the psychology of conspiracy theories? <laughs> so, Mike, you know, when you think about the big psychological factors that drives these beliefs, what, what do you think those are? Like, what are the characteristics you would find in a person that just makes them want to believe um, all sorts of this wacky stuff?
3: Uh, yeah, so this is kind of interesting. You know, we've had a lot of developments in, in the research on this. People have been looking at this for a few years, 20 years now, since like the, the first, uh, I would say, big psychological uh, study of this. Um, and and yeah, we've we've learned a lot. We've learned that um, one of the things that's not so important probably is personality. It doesn't seem like there's a single personality factor that really reliably predicts somebody's belief in conspiracy theories. Um, there are a few things that are important. Some of it has to do with the way that people tend to think about the world like if you uh, are a sort of uh, you know very intuitive type of person if you're kind of shoot from the hip, you go with your gut feelings, uh, you tend to um, you know not want to think about things too hard and you just kind of get a general impression you go with that then you're probably more likely to be into more conspiracy theories than someone who's a little bit more... Um, you know into sort of being very analytical about things and kind of breaking stuff down and, and you know thinking stuff through step by step very deliberately. So there's a, a thinking style aspect to it there. There's also um, certain characteristics of uh, somebody's worldview are they a, a naturally sort of suspicious and mistrustful type of person? Obviously if you if you if you don't trust people, in general, then conspiracy theories are going to seem a little bit more plausible to you. Uh, there are things like, uh, you know, how how much do you feel like you fit in with society, the people around you? Do you feel like your values are represented in society, and that your your uh, your your values are reflected in the way that we run the world? And if not, then that's going to make you more alienated from the world. It gives rise to what we call the feeling of enemy, and and that's kind of. Uh, that that's something that seems to have a, a role in driving conspiracy theories as well. Um, so there are all these sort of situational type of things that can cause you to believe conspiracy theories or not in particular situations. And, and then, of course, it depends on the exact conspiracy theory itself. So some of it comes down to the, the content of it. Um, so it's pretty complicated and a lot of it is very situational like a lot of psychology is.
4: So you did a, a really big paper, a research study, called Dead and Alive. And it made a lot of waves. Can you tell us a little bit about about what the finding was in that paper? Uh,
3: yeah, so th- there was um, this very persistent finding that we saw in a lot of the early work on conspiracy theories that um, one of the big uh, things that you could look at to, to figure out if somebody believed any given conspiracy theory was what they thought of other conspiracy theories. So, uh, you know, if you have a big list of conspiracy theories and you ask people, you know, how much do you believe that this one is true? How much do you believe that that one is true? You could ask people, you know, do you think 9-11 was an inside job? Do you think the moon landing never happened? Do you think uh, Princess Diana was killed by the, the British royal family and so on? And if you look at people's answers to all of those and then you try to predict what they think about vaccines, from that, you're going to be pretty accurate. You're going to do a pretty good job. All of these things tend to correlate with each other, right? Uh, so the more somebody is suspicious about one thing, the more they tend to be suspicious about other things. It's clear enough. So what my uh, my co-author, Karen Douglas and I, um, Karen was my, my PhD supervisor at the time, what we were interested in was, well, what if we looked at different conspiracy theories about the same thing? So um, not all, you know, there's no one 9-11 conspiracy theory there's no one JFK conspiracy theory. And the same thing goes for uh, uh, the death of Princess Diana, which is a big thing in the UK, which is where this study was done. <clears throat> and so we, we had this, this data set where we had asked about a couple of these uh, conspiracy theories. So, you know, maybe she was killed by uh, the British royal family. Maybe she was killed by her boyfriend's uh, father's business enemies. Maybe she faked her own death. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, we, we asked about a few of these things, and we found that there were actually positive correlations between them. So the, more, the higher somebody's responses to the faked-her-own-death conspiracy theory, the higher their responses tended to be to the other conspiracy theories as well, which is – it looks like it could be some kind of a contradiction, right? Because obviously she can't be dead and alive. She can't have faked her own death and have been killed by this one person, and have been killed by the other person. It's not possible. And then we did another study where we looked at conspiracy theories about the death of Osama bin Laden, which had just happened at the time. And, you know, there were some that he was, uh, you know, he had been dead since, like, 2002, and, you know, died of kidney disease, and they were, they just had, they were, like, weekend at bernies him. Um, and, and then there was another one that was, another conspiracy theory that said, well, you know, they didn't kill him in the raid, that's why there were no picks. They actually captured him and, you know, they black bagged him and took him off to Gitmo and and they're interrogating him there and they just don't want people to know that he's alive. Um, or, you know, th- there were a few of these. And again, it was this thing, is he dead or is he still alive or, you know, was he dead long ago or is he still alive? And we, we found the same thing, that the higher people's responses to the uh, the already dead Conspiracy theory; the higher their responses to the um, still alive conspiracy theory, and and this is just because you know people get suspicious, and and this is one of the things that I've kind of uh, talked about in my research since then, is that conspiracy theories are not really uh, theories a lot of the time; they're more like general suspicions that people have about a situation, and they think something's up, they think they're not being told the whole truth, that something's being covered up, and. Uh, these individual little theories that kind of bubble up to the surface, you know, that say that, oh yeah, Diana was killed by, um, by, you know, Queen Elizabeth, you know, that, that's not really what it's about. It's about being suspicious. And so that suspicion can drive a lot of different conspiracy theories that, that sometimes contradict each other. And usually people aren't super sure about it. You know, what we saw wasn't that people were like, yeah, she's definitely still alive. And she was definitely killed by the Royal family. They would say something like, um, yeah, you know both of those are, are pretty believable and so they, they wouldn't be super sure about it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you, you said you got people who are like no, that's all crap, none of that happened and she died in a car accident and bin Laden was killed in the raid. So that's that's where this seems to come from. and I think that that it points to this kind of vagueness at, at the heart of a lot of conspiracy theories because they're, they're not about the specific theory, they're about the distrust and about the suspicion and, and that's what's really at the heart of it.
4: So I, I tend to find that in surveys, too. So, for example, when you ask people, you know, do you think there was a conspiracy to kill President Kennedy? Um, you'll get 60% of people saying yes. And um, what's interesting is you would think that all those people have some specific theory that they're speaking to, that they've been convinced of some specific thing, they have real evidence for it, and, and, and so they have a reason. But... What we tend to find is most people say there's a conspiracy and they don't know what it is or what happened. And it's just a rejection of the official story rather than it is, I have a real reason to believe some other thing.
3: Yeah, that's that's that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, another thing that um, that I found in a, a follow-up study was um, if you look at the way that people argue about 9-11 conspiracy theories online, you, know, you can go and look at... Uh, what we did was we, we looked at uh, comment sections of news websites around the 10th anniversary of uh, 9/11, and looked at you know how people were, were uh, talking about these theories and how people were arguing for them and how they were arguing against them. And the people who were arguing against the, the conspiracy theories would usually say, "Well, no, the official sort of mainstream story of 9/11 is actually really plausible. Um, you know, these things that are supposedly wrong with it are actually not." problems at all, this is perfectly explainable, and so on. And then the people who were um, sort of advocating for the conspiracy theories would say, well, no, the official story doesn't make sense at all. Look at this, you know, look at the, you know, building seven, look at the, 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 the the stand down order that that Cheney gave on the day, you know, and all of these things, these, and uh, it was quite rare for anyone to actually talk directly about the conspiracy theories and say, no, only this conspiracy theory can explain these facts, you know. And, and so arguing in favor of a specific theory, or even on the, the sort of um, sort of mainstream supporters' side, arguing against a specific conspiracy theory, that wasn't really a thing because there was no kind of official conspiracy theory. And in a way, there can't be. So it, it's, it's a hard thing to, to get a grip on, for sure.
4: So Al can attest to this, too, because we've had a lot of guests on this show that will come in and, and they want to dance around their conspiracy theory. And rather than say, I think A, B, and C happened, they'll say, well, I'm just asking questions or I'm just throwing out facts that, you know, suggest that the official story might not be entirely true. Um, when in fact they probably believe something, they're convinced of something. They may not want to say it out loud, or maybe they don't even know fully what it is. But they're convinced that something's not right. Yeah, and it's you know to
3: some extent I'm sympathetic to that because it is hard to make you know like if you commit yourself to something and you turn out to be wrong, but then you think well you know there's still something here you know maybe there's still something right about this that that's got to feel pretty bad right, and I think. You know, in 9/11 Truth movement, if you look at kind of the internal politics of it and the way that people talk about it, there are people who try to make, you know, they give it the old college try. You know, they they come up with, you know, here's what happened, here's the timeline, and then people go absolutely berserk over this. You know, there's a lot of infighting. Um, There's a big, you know, or I I don't know if this is still going on, but it used to be that there was a big debate about whether the um, uh, the planes were real or not. Like the the no plane nine <laughs> yeah. eleven truthers versus the other people, and then everyone's kind of accusing each other of being part of the conspiracy, and this kind of is, is what happens, I think, to some extent when you when you stick your neck out and say this is exactly what's going on, um, you're you're kind of making yourself vulnerable uh, to to people who are maybe otherwise sympathetic to you and to the people who you know, you're giving ammunition to people who would want to argue against you for any reason, I guess. And and so there, there's like a, a fairly cynical reason like that not to go into detail, but also I think it speaks to this uh, psychological characteristic of, of conspiracy theories, which is that they're really about suspicion and, and doubt and about being opposed to uh, a particular explanation rather than in favor of another one.
4: Well, sometimes I find that people have a clear idea of what they want to say, but they know better than to say it out loud and and that's when you get into this i'm just asking questions business where it's just sort of well i'm not asserting that you know president bush killed three thousand of his own people on nine eleven i'm just asking questions i'm doing you know a social good um, and i'm not saying it's not necessarily a social good but it, it seems like people have will sometimes have a strong idea and just not want to share it maybe as you say because they don't want the idea to be <laughs> you know, taken apart once it's said out loud. Um, And maybe they just don't want to face the blowback that conspiracy theorists often face. Yeah,
3: I wonder also if it's like, um, it's kind of a Socratic thing to some extent, right? Like, I I think that people, when they're, you know, this was kind of one of the the ideas that we had with this online comments uh, study, was that, you know, people are going to try to persuade others in the way that they, think would be effective on them, right? Like, so would I find this convincing, you know? How would I want to be red-pilled on 9-11 or, or whatever? And and people have this thought, well, you know, I would want somebody to, you know, engage me in this conversation and have me kind of figure it out for myself and ask these sort of questions and kind of lead me down the garden path rather than just spouting facts at me. And I think that that can be quite effective. You know, if you look at something like uh, QAnon, for instance, QAnon is all based on this these kind of little... Little puzzles, you know. Uh, this all of QAnon's early posts were these sort of questions, like who controls North Korea, who really controls North Korea, you know. <laughs> and it's 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 this way of kind of engaging the person, and it's like QAnon, it's like he's giving them the junior jumble, you know. It's like this sort of um, Da Vinci Code type of thing where people are, are figuring out a puzzle, and, and I think that people enjoy that to some extent, and, it, and it's kind of effective. And I, I so you know I can't fault it on that basis but I think that it can be used to conceal a uh, sort of not intellectual dishonesty but intellectual um, vagueness or, or, or sometimes laziness where people don't always think their ideas all the way through
4: so bringing up the QAnon I mean we've talked about that on this show quite a few times one thing that, that's interesting with it and I want to get your thoughts is that these QAnon people as dark as the conspiracy theory is that they believe them That there's this satanic deep state and that pretty much every politician in the country is a satanic sex trafficker and they eat babies uh, for the magic powers. Um, I mean, that's a dark vision of the world, but there's something very hopeful that's attached to it and that there's going to be this great awakening and the wrongdoers will be brought to justice and summarily hung at Guantanamo Bay. Um, And then there's going to be a new reality where everyone's going to be happy and Uh, The world's going to be this great utopia after this this awakening occurs. Um, Do you see that often? Like, is there a need to to either, one, have this dark view or to have sort of a hopeful view at the same time? Yeah, so... there's, you know, I, I, this is something
3: that that has been noted in a lot of these um, conspiracy beliefs, is that there's there's a, a Manichaeanism, this sort of black and white, good and evil thinking, where this, the world is a struggle between the forces of good and the forces of evil, and then you know, one, sooner or another, sooner or later, one or the other of them is is going to triumph, right? And it's of course going to be good, and you know, QAnon is is especially interesting about this because it's very much in the sort of American Protestant tradition of of uh, these sort of small, uh, millennial groups, like the groups that are essentially waiting for the apocalypse and looking at prophecies of the apocalypse. And there's going to be this great reckoning and there's going to be a cleansing. And then we're going to have an age of peace and prosperity and, and all the wrongdoers will be sent to justice and Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. And then Jesus will come back and rule for a thousand years. This is exactly what QAnon is. It's in, in every way, you know, you, There's a a great tradition of studies of American new religious movements or cults or sects or or whatever you want to call them that are waiting for the apocalypse, and and especially ones that have specific prophecies of when and how this is going to happen, and they have this whole system of what happens when you set a date when everything's going to go down and it doesn't come, how do your followers react? What does the profit do? I mean, this is not just the states. You you see this all around the world. There have been examples everywhere, you know, from from, uh, Kenya to Japan to to Quebec, right? You know, there's loads of them. But uh, this is the thing. Um, All of these uh, have this same kind of core to them where... There are these forces of evil. The world is almost irredeemably corrupt, but there's this great cleansing coming. And, you know, we've got this message for you, the faithful. We're giving you a heads up that this is all going to happen. So you have to prepare yourselves. Um, you have to make sure that you're good and righteous. And then when the time comes, all the evil is going to be um, swept away. And, you know, it, it's no surprise to some extent that QAnon has, has found traction in in you know, these uh, s- sorts of uh, sections of the population that have a- exposure to these things. Because if you read Left Behind, if you read Hal Lindsey, if you read, you know, any of these sort of uh, premillennial dispensationalist sort of, um, you know, end times uh, Christianity things, it's, it's very similar in terms of its themes and, and how it's all supposed to go down. So there's a lot of history behind QAnon, and I think whoever's doing it is, is pretty savvy about that.
4: So one thing that interests me, you brought up QAnon, is this a cult? I mean, it's almost cultish. It's sort of a weird setup in that the people are, they don't have a meeting place or a church or a temple or anything, but they, they sort of follow the same Twitter accounts and they, they follow the same uh, YouTube channels and they all, you know, in sort of a hierarchical fashion, they're following this Q poster, whoever it might be. Um, but is is it sort of like the modern internet version of a, of a cult?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. There's no definition of cult. Like, I don't think actual, like, religious scholars use the term cult. Hmm. It's kind, kind of an informal thing. So, you know, you can't really say if it's a cult or not. But I, I think, I've you know, it, it has a lot of the characteristics of what they call new religious movements, which is kind of an umbrella term for things that you might call cults, but also some other stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it has a sort of very specific um, and kind of unconventional worldview. It has um, a, a, certainly a very apocalyptic worldview. Not in the sense that the world's going to end, but you know, this, there's going to be this dramatic. It's the, the end of the world as we know it, I guess. When when they you know they they uh, send off to uh, send Hillary off to Gitmo, that's that's when everything changes, right? Um, and, and yeah, it has a lot of the
4: same characteristics for sure. So the news out of the QAnon camp today, because they've had this, this you know, I'll call it prophecy, it was, it was their prophecy or prediction that um, all of Trump's enemies, including the Clintons and, and all the other satanic sex traffickers, would be rounded up, and there were already secret indictments, 500 secret indictments um, for their arrest. And obviously, none of these people have been arrested. There's no perp walks. You know, no one's been jailed or sent to Gitmo. Um, but what they, some of the top Q people said today, is that they've all already been arrested in secret, and they've already signed guilty pleas. So now they've decided to cooperate, and we're just waiting for the point. You know, once they've uh, finished the inve- the true investigation of the deep state, at that point, Hillary Clinton will be sent down to Gitmo. To serve, I guess, a lighter sentence for her, her satanic sex trafficking.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of. I, I think that this has been said before in QAnon. It's certainly you know a pretty old tactic. You know, I, like there was. I, I've, I've been reading up on this more and more because I've been so interested in in how new religious movements justify failed prophecies. And I, there's like this three. There's kind of three ways that they can they can do it if they predict something is going to happen and then it doesn't usually you know the end of the world or some big event um, and and this is this is exactly like the first one which is claim that the prophecy was fulfilled just invisibly so do you remember uh, Harold Camping? Yeah. So yeah, for anyone who who doesn't remember, Harold Camping was this like radio evangelist guy who said that the rapture was going to happen on some certain date, right? Date comes and goes, nothing happens. Um, and then he says, well, you know, we miscalculated. It's actually going to be at this other date. So that's, that's sort of uh, number one in, in ways to justify a failed prophecy. We screwed up. It's actually a different date. So then the other date comes and he does tactic number two, which is that it was fulfilled, but invisibly. So he says, well, there was an invisible rapture, you know, God's passed his judgment on the world. He just didn't tell anybody about it. Um, So, so, you know, the world's going to end properly any day. Now it's it's started, but nobody can see it. And that's, that's exactly what happens with Q. Now, the third thing that the way, way that a lot of these prophets will justify failed prophecies is to say, well, you know, it, it was um foiled you know we we were gonna do it we were gonna bring about the end of the world but the enemy did something and it, it delayed
0: a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance
3: And Q's done an interesting inversion of that, which is he has this quote from way back called disinformation is necessary. And th- what Q uses that to mean is that, well, I was lying when I said that it was all going to happen. But that was just to make the bad guys panic and make them, you know, go around and start you know shredding documents or, or <laughs> doing whatever. And, and we, we totally psyched him out and we're going to get him next time. And, and then he does this over and over and over. And he does all of these prophecies. And every time he just says, oh, yeah, you know, this we, it's, this prophecy served its purpose. They used up some of their ammunition. And at, at some point, it just becomes like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. And Lucy is always just yanking it away at the last minute. And I, I really would have thought the deep state would have caught
4: on to this by now,
3: if I'm honest.
4: <laughs> yeah, it is sort of strange that, that the prophecies continue to never come true. Um, But there's always this issue where, um, uh, you know, there's a reason for it. And and it's sort of strange that you have the Q character um, always putting out these little messages. And it, it doesn't make sense that he would say... Oh, yeah, we were using disinformation against the deep state. First of all, I don't know that there's a deep state. I don't know why they would be following this Q account, first of all. It's just sort of this delusion of grandeur that, you know, um, there's this battle between good and evil taking place, and it's all taking place on (laughs) 8chan. Well, not not entirely on
3: 8chan, because all the bad guys send their messages through James Comey's Twitter account.
4: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so, so you bring that up. Let, let me ask you a question. So some of this can do real damage because, um, speaking of James Comey's Twitter account, he put out a tweet where um, it was sort of innocuous, I think, something about a um, – it just had some letters in it, and then people scrambled the letters to turn it into the name of a school – and then decided there was going to be some sort of terrorist attack at a school bake sale, and then they threatened the school, and the school had to shut down the bake sale. So, I mean, do you see lots of damage like that coming from, um, coming from this sort of stuff?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's not the first time that, that something like this has happened. You know, if you remember the uh, the Boston Marathon bombing, there was a bunch of sort of amateur sleuthing that was happening online around that time, um, especially on, on Reddit and sites like that, where people were trying to figure out, you know, there were these sort of, um, I, I think the, the police actually released a bunch of surveillance video, and they said, you know, look at this, and if you can find anything, you know, we'd appreciate the help, basically. They tried to crowdsource some of the investigation. People started combing through it, and they... Identified what they thought was the bomber and they're like, oh yeah, it's totally this guy. And it turned out it was some dude who had gone missing like a week before and he'd actually committed suicide or something like that. And his family got harassed and stuff. Um, it was, it was, it was a bad scene and, and these rumors just went all over the place. And I think some people still are, you know, think that, oh, you know, it was actually him and they killed him to cover it up or something like that. And, and, you know, it ended up having this, this blowback. And, and this happens a lot when you have these sorts of, um, you, you know, just general conspiracy rumor mills, but especially among communities that kind of fancy themselves citizen investigators or you know, distributed sleuthing or whatever you want to call it. That you know, once you once there's some piece of bad information out there, uh, it, it never goes away. You know, there's no there's no quality control in investigations like this, and you know, we yeah, we see this over and over for sure.
4: So one thing that that. I've been thinking about a little bit, particularly with QAnon, um, but with some other, you know, sort of conspiracy-ish things out there, too, lately, is that there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, we see the QAnon, and they're saying there's all these, you know, satanic sex traffickers out there, and, and they control the government. Well, if you go back to Oliver Stone's JFK, it's a bunch of pedophile um, a bunch of pedophiles who conspired within the deep state to kill Kennedy. Um, if you go back a few years before that, people thought Dungeons and Dragons was part of some satanic thing to get all the kids to kill themselves, and there were Satanists running around everywhere taking over police departments and whatnot. And they, they actually wound up putting people in jail in the U.S. for phony crimes, um, a, a lot of these things. So, I mean, when does it go from just psychology... Um, something internal to people to being something where you have groups of people falling victim to these sort of delusions yeah I mean that's that's a big question.
3: Like, I think conspiracy theories are almost always going to be a social thing. I think they're inevitably social because they're always about um, the idea of, of groups kind of moving and plotting against one another. You know, if there's no conspiracy by one person against one person, that's just somebody with like a, a vendetta or something like that, right? Conspiracy theories are always about, uh, you, you know, like in psychology, we do talk about, you know, delusions of persecution and paranoia, and things like that, and and the difference between that and a conspiracy theory is that a delusion of persecution is always about a single person. You know, they're out to get me, and conspiracy theories are not like that. They're about, um, they're out to get us, and and there's always some sort of sense of of um, you know common fate or or like a like a sense of brotherhood almost about about conspiracy theories, and they're always a social phenomenon. So. Th- there's the internal psychology that you know might make somebody more or less likely to buy into a conspiracy theory or to to see a conspiracy in something but when that gets translated into action and how that spreads between people that's kind of a different question and and in many ways it's it's sort of a, a more interesting one uh, you know about what happens when we go beyond the realm of the individual and, and turn it into a question of how people relate to one another
4: yeah it is interesting and when you add in the element of the internet with it too which isn't necessary but i think it it sort of accelerates the spreading of some of these ideas for example um you have these fears of sex trafficking and yes sex trafficking does exist in the world but the fear of it has gotten so overblown in the country that they're passing a lot of policies that seem very much unnecessary and at the same time you have you know police departments warning people you know if you go to you go to the store watch out in the parking lot because they're just snatching people right out of the parking lot and selling them into sex slavery and it's like these are all sort of urban myths that just get started on facebook and they travel around and people think it's true but it's not and it just builds this idea that you know you can't even go to the store because there's sex traffickers just waiting to, to to steal you yeah for
3: sure and that that feeling of being under threat you know, it's almost a siege mentality. You know, I think that's what a lot of conspiracy theories have to them. You know, is this this kind of idea of a siege mentality? I, I think that that's that can be really damaging, um, and especially when it's so out of proportion to the actual threat. Um, and you know, the, I guess the silver lining, if there is one, is that a lot of the time these people who are implicated in this are kind of faceless. You know, it's oh, it's them. You know, they're out to get you. Some sex traffickers are going to come and snatch you. And that's, you know, whatever it's, it's a fear of some kind of general impersonal force. But when you start putting names and faces to that, and when you start saying, you know, it's the deep state, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the Muslims, and they're going to come take your kids, it's the Mexicans. That's when things start getting a little darker. Um, And, and that's, um, I I don't know to what extent that's true of
4: sex trafficking rumors right now. Do you, do you have more of a sense of that? Well, I mean, it's widespread, um, but I will tell you one example. There was a group of armed men who were running around the Tucson desert looking for these satanic sex traffickers who were bringing Oh, yeah, in. Operation Backyard Brawl. I know yeah, guys. bringing them in from Mexico, and it's just like, I just hope they don't find some innocent schlep walking across the desert and then say, oh, you're a satanic sex trafficker. But these guys had all sorts of stuff in their mind. They would find a tree stump and say, oh, well, this is a satanic altar where they were sacrificing the kids to the goat god or something. And it's just like they'd call the police and like, no, it's a tree stump. I mean, what do you, you guys are just coming up with fantasy stuff here. But, it, it, you know, I think if you get a bunch of people together and they're all sort of convinced of the same thing, they can wind up perhaps polarizing themselves by just all agreeing and agreeing and the, and the ideas get more and more extreme and there's no one to sort of pull them out. Mm. um uh, um of it um so when you're doing your work i mean what do you do you have in the back of your mind that there could be serious dangers to some of these beliefs and it, does that sort of drive you sometimes yeah yeah i mean there are some that are clearly more um actively
3: damaging than others you know if somebody wants to believe the earth is flat then i think that's a very stupid thing to believe and i probably have Little respect for that person, but I don't think that they're going to, you know, like, I, I don't think that that belief on its own is is particularly harmful. I think it's just super dumb. Um, if somebody thinks that vaccines are poison and they will never get their kids vaccinated and they're going to tell all their friends to do the same thing, or if they think that climate change is uh, a hoax and it's their patriotic duty to roll coal on the 4th of July and just blast smoke all over the neighborhood, and just put as much carbon out there as possible, and burn all their tires, you know. Then we're getting into the realms of oh, this could be really bad, you know. And yeah, there are some of those things that I look at and I'm like, oh crap, you know. I, I, this is you know, I, I think that some of this stuff is is really hard to deal with because it's rooted in in, in some sense in a an opposition to or a fear of or a, an uneasiness about collective action, which is what a lot of these. These problems require, you know, if you want to get herd immunity to some disease, you want to eradicate polio or you want to eradicate measles, everybody's got to get vaccinated. If you want to, you know, lower our carbon emissions to a point where we're only going to have one and a half degrees of warming, then, you know, that's going to be difficult and we're all going to have to kind of pitch in on that. And that's the sort of thing where people kind of look at that and they go, hmm, what are you trying to pull here? What are you trying to do? And there's this um, this this uneasiness about it that kind of comes out of that, and it's those problems that are the most difficult, and and that's I think those are the conspiracy theories that we need to worry about the most because that's, you know, even if 10% of the population says no, I'm never getting vaccinated, that's enough to wreck a lot of these these efforts around things like disease eradication. Um, and, and things like that. So, yeah, I I think that that's, that's where the biggest problems are for sure.
4: Yeah, certainly. I mean, this year or now, and we're only halfway through, I think has more cases of measles in the U.S. than any year in the past, I think they said 25 years. So it's sort of been blowing up and a lot of it is really just traced to people not getting vaccinated. And, um, some of the justifications you see, and I'd like to get your your thoughts on this. I mean, some people say, well, the vaccines are bad for you, but other people say, well, measles are actually good for you, and it's just a part of nature, and, you know, you're better off with it. Um, so it seems like there's some really delusional reasoning taking place to people justifying um, the behavior. Yeah, it's, uh,
3: yeah, I, I'm not sure I'd... I, I'm always like a little wary of sticking the label delusional on it, but it definitely does not seem good. Like I, that's, I'm comfortable with that label, not good. Let's use that one.
1: <laughs> well, don't, don't forget the right part there. there. There's a lot of people that think that um, when you're getting the flu shot, they're putting in tracers to track you.
3: Yeah, I think that one's that that one's less common. I mean, I, I, the polls out there, I think most people are, are have kind of got the health concern aspect to it, or you know, to some people it might just be like, look, how, you know, how, how who are you to tell me what to put in my body? You know, this is this is none of your business, and it's almost like a you know, uh, just like a like a reactance thing. Like, no, I don't want it, and you know, I got some sympathy for that. You know, I I remember not wanting to put my jacket on when I was a kid or something like that, you know, (laughs) but it's, and and I don't want to minimize it by by saying that this is like a kid not wanting to put in their jacket. You know, Uh, people have concerns about bodily autonomy. That's, that's justified. But yeah, the idea that it's, it's always going to be, you know, more natural and better to do something in a certain way. It's this just general sort of idea people have that, well, you know, we've gone astray, the world is crap, and a lot of that is because we're doing all these artificial things that are out there, and we're doing all these nasty chemicals and and whatnot, and let's do it the natural way, and then, of course, you know, if you look back a few centuries, doing disease control and medicine the natural way ended up killing off a third of Europe, so (laughs) that didn't work super well, if you ask me, but that's still, you know, it's still, these beliefs are out there, and and they're kind of fallacious, and we got to try to you know, remedy that wherever we can.
4: So I was never an anti-vaxxer. I always had all my my vaccines. Um, But, you know, one that you don't have to get is the flu shot. And and I always thought, you know, oh, maybe they are sticking a chip in me or something like that. And I, (laughs) I didn't quite understand vaccine science. So it wasn't until I got the flu, maybe five or six years ago, that I said, "I'm not doing this again." I'm getting the am getting the flu shot, and I get it religiously every year, and I don't I you know I barely get sick anymore. Um, but it's like I, it always makes me wonder if people say, "Oh yeah, catching the flu is good," and it's just trying to get into that mindset where the measles is good, catching the flu is good. Um, it, it's almost like somebody saying, oh, yeah, falling down and breaking your leg is good, so your leg learns how to heal itself. It just doesn't sound good to me. And it sounds like people are just stretching to try to justify um, their, their their conspiracy beliefs. Yeah, I wonder about some of that. You know, there's also stuff like, like radiation
3: hormesis, where people think that getting small amounts of radiation is, is going to be good for you. That's like a weird sort of fringe health belief that's out there. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe there's something about the, this idea that, that, you know, suffering is virtuous and that if you suffer, that makes you stronger. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right. And, you know, there is some truth to, to some of this. Like this is part of the basis for vaccines is that if you get like the, the original smallpox vaccine, if you get this less severe disease cowpox, then that's going to you know, your immune system is going to get learn to deal with that and then you won't get the smallpox, you know, so. This idea, I guess, that, that you know, if you've if you've suffered, then you've earned your immunity, and if you get it from some other way, some vaccine, that's like cheating. You know, maybe it's something like that. Yeah. Well, Al, what do you think?
1: Uh, I'm hiding.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you have scared me. That's don't I'm leave hiding. the house, Al. <laughs> well, you know what? You know what? I don't. I don't understand because I deal with. Uh, these flat earthers and all these different general um, it, throughout interviews and I don't understand the passion for it um, it's one thing to say well I'm asking the question and it's also one thing to say that you know it's not as bad if they're just flat earthers, it's not hurting anybody but I find that most of them all have kind of grouped together um, and it's quite passionate they, they will scream at you or they'll accuse you of things and attack you if you have any resistance to what they're saying.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I got some sympathy for that, to be honest. Like, what if you were the only person in the world who knew that the Earth was round, right? And everybody else was going about their business being like, yeah, the Earth is flat. I would find that frustrating, personally. I would be like, you people, what the hell is wrong with you? Can't you see we're living on a globe? You know? I... I I think that a lot of this is kind of just how people would react normally in this situation. Like if it's like, no, you don't understand. Don't get your babies' vaccines because they're going to track them, And, you know, it's poisoning them. Like, I think that given how catastrophic some of these beliefs are about what is supposed to be going on, I think the weirder situation is when you have somebody who's like, yeah, you know, vaccines are poison and the Illuminati are going to put everybody in concentration camps. But, you know, it's just another day at the office, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the information that they're, they're, they're getting it's just not very sourced. It, like, it, it, how, how can you believe the world is flat, for instance, without any um, good information telling you that?
3: Yeah, I mean, probably what the flat earther would say would be that, uh, you know, you, you can believe the evidence of your own eyes, and you can look out at the horizon. You, you can see that the Earth is flat, and who are you going to believe, your eyes or some egghead scientist who's just, you know, telling you something different, right? And, and this is, this, I, I think this kind of comes back to what I said earlier about intuition, and that a lot, for a lot of people who get in deep into these conspiracy theories, they just have a very intuitive way of thinking about things. And they go out, and they look, and they say, well, yeah, obviously the Earth is flat. It looks flat. What are you talking about telling me that it's round? Am I on a spinning ball? Why don't I fly off into space? And you get all these things that are like kind of intuitive objections that don't really make a lot of sense if you look at them long enough. But they're kind of based in this intuition that like, no, you're crazy. What are you talking about?
1: Well, yeah, but when you, when you, when you look at the moon, a full moon from North America, <clears throat> then you look at it from someone in Australia, it's upside down. They can't explain that.
3: I think they can I don't know. Well, they, I, think,
1: their, I think what the response is that there, there was no Australia <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, there's no uh, Finland either, so well, it's so, this is the
3: thing it's again, it's the vagueness because the, 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 this is the problem with like the flat earthers are a great example of this, especially like this idea of just saying no the, the, the world's not a globe. It's not a spinning ball in space. That's ridiculous. We'd all fall off. The oceans would fly away, you know. And, and then, but the, there's no model of the flat Earth that makes any lick of sense. I don't think anybody's devised it. Like you see the the disk with this, um, you know the, the the sun and moon kind of spiraling around on top of it. And the seasons don't make sense in that. You can't have seasons and daylight on that map at the same time. There's no way to, to, to make that work that makes any kind of visual sense if you look at. It. I mean, obviously the whole thing's got a lot of problems but but this is the thing like there's always some ad hoc explanation you can always come up with something on the spot and say well it's because the luminiferous ether from the firmament you know has some interesting optical properties and it flips things around sometimes um, and, and it's again it's this very sort of shoot from the hip slapdash intuitive way of looking at it where you kind of make these things up and say, oh, yeah, you know, if we, like that, that Flat Earth documentary on Netflix where they got the, the laser gyroscope and they were like, well, if the Earth is rotating, then it should this should show a 15-degree-per-hour drift. And it shows a 15-degree-per-hour drift. And they're like, huh, obviously this is energy from the heavens doing this, so we have to encase it <laughs> in a container made entirely from bismuth. <laughs>
4: Well, there's always a way out when yeah. you don't get what you want, right? Yeah.
1: But I think that's the point. I think that for me, that when when they can't explain something, they create an answer, and there's no evidence to that, and that's where the problem lies.
3: Yeah, and that's uh, that's kind of the difference between a lot of these sort of sciency type models that you see kind of bouncing around in, in flat Earth, and in also you know other conspiracy theory domains, you see a lot of alternative cosmologies out there, you know, ways people say that, you know, physics doesn't work the way we think it does and gravity doesn't exist and everything's just electromagnetism. And a lot of these models are just kind of like, eh, it's magnets, you know. Um, and, And if you actually, like, try to dig down into the fine detail, there's not a whole lot there, which is understandable because if you try to put something there, it doesn't work because the whole enterprise is doomed because it's nonsense. Um, and, and I think that kind of winnows out the people who try to do that. And then the, the ones who are left believing in these same models are the ones who don't really bother to look that deeply into the, the nitty gritty of it.
1: Wow. Well, so, um, now do, do you have, um, <laughs> a website or some sort of Facebook or something that you, uh, could let people, uh, know about and then they can come see you or do you just hide out?
3: Um I, I'm not super active on Twitter, but I do post on there sometimes. So if you want, you can follow me on Twitter at disinfoagent. That's <laughs> D-I-S-I-N-F O agent. That's
4: well, we're gonna get a lot of emails for this, Al. so.
3: Yeah. <laughs> now
2: do you get
1: a lot of that? Um Mike, do you get a lot um, of yeah. that
4: where people call you or
1: they think that you're working for the government or some sort of thing?
3: Um so it's kind of Variable. A lot of people seem to think that I'm kind of well-meaning, but I've never really looked at building seven or something like that. You know, they're like, you know, th- this is I, I, your paper was interesting, but have you considered that we're actually right about everything? Here, watch this, you know, five-hour YouTube video. And, and mostly people are, are pretty civil. And then some people, like I, I just got, you know, some handwritten ten-page letter from some guy telling me about, about, you know, like the Catholic Church or something like that. And then, yeah, every so often I do get people you know, contacting me and saying, you know, how dare you, you're working for them. But <laughs> I think for the most part, people have actually been surprisingly civil. But, uh, you know, maybe after this comes out, that'll change. We'll see.
1: Yeah. Well, we, it's a, it sort of surprised me. We just had a, I don't know what you call him. Is he a college professor going for a doctorate, a JD member, Joe? And he just rambled. And this is a man that teaches people in college. And uh, he even questioned the the landing on the moon at the end. I mean, I don't know. It's getting scary, I think.
4: I got a text over the weekend from someone asking if I looked into the Cult of the Serpent, and I I didn't even know what that one was.
3: I think that was the, wasn't that the bad guy from the first Conan the Barbarian movie?
4: (laughs) Well, then I have student, looked into played it. by
3: James Earl Jones,
4: because that was an excellent movie. <laughs> wow, so good. No, it's it's Hillary's new new boyfriend. Both of the
1: serpent. Oh, I'm terrible. Well, what can look that I say? Up. Yeah, look it up. It's been a, it's been a great interview, and I appreciate you coming on and and uh, talking to the uh, talking to us and letting the uh, listeners know um, the psychology behind uh, some of these conspiracies.
3: Oh, yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a been a good time.
2: Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello.
0: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts,